Hello, everybody, and you're joining us again for another episode of the Play Sheet Podcast. It's the Super Bowl preview, Joe. Are you excited? Super Bowl week. Of course, it's Super Bowl. How can you not be excited? It's finally here. I'd have been a little bit more excited if Green Bay was still in the mix, but uh, I think it's going to be a hell of a game either way. We've got... Well, you can just you can just enjoy the game now. You don't have to worry about Green Bay flunking it. <laughs> That's it. There's no pressure now. We've got two top-rate quarterbacks going head-to-head. All I hope is that it's an exciting point-scoring game and not like that horrendous Rams v. Pats Super Bowl that we watched one year. Yeah, and I think it will be. Like We'll get into more detail kind of later, but with the teams we've got here, I, I can't see how it's not going to be a great game. I'm really looking forward to it. I think in terms of a lineup, this is the most excited that I've been for a Super Bowl for a, for a good few years. Yeah, absolutely. It's two top teams going head-to-head. Obviously, Joe, we covered the games from previous podcast episodes. We did part one of our awards last week, and so we'll carry on into part two. But I think this week, really what we want to discuss is some of the potential elements that we might witness in the Super Bowl game this weekend. But we're planning on keeping this podcast episode quite short because we don't want to labour on about something that we're all super excited to watch And then, of course, next week, we'll probably have a slightly longer show uh, because we want to talk about some of the key things that we can expect to see in this offseason. If you're a very casual fan, there is more than enough stuff out there to give you an easy prep to Super Bowl. I mean, every single news site, every single whatever website it is, thinks that they can give you an intro guide to the Super Bowl. And if you're a more experienced fan who's been watching the playoffs and seeing these games throughout the season, then I think that on the whole, you know what the strengths and weaknesses and what things are to look out for this team. So we're just going to touch on a few points, like you say, Charles. But I agree, we don't need to labour this. We don't want to overdo it because it is Super Bowl week and it's quite easy to get saturated with Super Bowl, so to speak. So... Let's jump straight into it then and talk a little bit about some of the things that we maybe can expect to see, some things that potentially might trip the teams up. So let's start off with Tampa Bay. We saw against Green Bay, they let Brady run that offense. You know, he was totally comfortable doing what he did, moving the chains, dropping bombs. He was he was fantastic for a large part of that game. Now they're coming up against Patrick Mahomes do you think they try and change their game plan at all? Do you think we'll see a little bit more of the run game to try and keep the ball out of Mahomes' hands for a bit longer? I think we definitely will see that. And I think that the uh, the makeup of the backfield will change slightly. I mean, Leonard Fournette was a lot more utilised in the previous game, and that's because they were using him more as like a kind of third down style back, pass catching out of the backfield. I think we'll see more Rojo. I think we'll see more Rojo as a possession back hitting first and second downs. That's not to say they'll shake the game plan up too much because, you know, we could have a situation where Kansas City score early and Tampa Bay are always playing from behind. And if that's the case, then, you know, it's all good and well saying that you want to hold the ball, but you can only do that if a game is close or if you've got a lead. So, look, assuming that the game stays tight kind of early on, then, yeah, I think we will see more of a run-heavy game, which is just the natural and obvious way to, you know, keep the Chiefs under control. Yeah, and... From a Chiefs point of view, obviously Kelsey is such a big element of their game and he's the one that they often turn to, especially when they need that big play on third down. Do you think that the Bucks have a plan for Kelsey? Do you think that there's anything they can set up in a certain way to help minimise the impact of him on the field? 
Well, what I think it more is, is how this team is going to show their front seven. And this is where I think one of the Kansas City Chiefs weaknesses that I've talked about all season will come into play a little bit here. Now, they're not going to stack the box as much as they would had the Chiefs, you know, had a genuine power back threat. We're not going to see too many eight men in the box kind of situations. What they will be doing is they'll probably having sub packages where they'll sub out a linebacker for a safety or put, you know, one of the biggest linebackers over Kelsey, but then have a linebacker subbed out, a safety ball in to help cover Hill. With there not being that threat from Edwards, Elaire, and, and really Bell kind of either, neither being, you know, a true power back, they'll trust their front four. And I mean, their front four has been extremely, extremely good. They'll trust those guys and then let the linebackers cover the field a little bit more, which Devin White, Levante David can do very, very effectively. And with that oppressive pass rush that the Bucks do have, you know, we spoke about Mahomes and his turf toe in the previous podcast. Do you think that could potentially be an issue if we have a slightly less mobile Mahomes and the Bucks bring the pass rush fast and heavy early on? Do you think we could see Mahomes struggle a bit in a situation where typically he wouldn't? I think yes. I think yes. And what it's going to come down to really, what's going to be absolute key here, one of the main important players of this game is going to be Vitavea. He needs to be able to push the middle of a line forward and basically collapse the pocket on Mahomes. Because you've got to trust, you've got to trust that players like Golston, players like Pierre Paul and players like Sue will be able to close the edges. And so it will be their job to keep Mahomes in the pocket and not let him get out too much. If those guys can close the edges and Vita Villa can push through the middle, then we could see Mahomes under a lot of stress and that turf toe then becomes more of an issue when he can't be as mobile as perhaps he'd like. Yeah, that's one of the things that I've been thinking in terms of what kind of narrows this game and makes it potentially a little bit tighter than it would have been is if that turf toe is an issue and Mahomes is uncomfortable on it, we know that the Bucks can rush exceptionally well. And if they bring that, Mahomes might find himself in a, a bit of a, an uncomfortable situation. So we might see him try and release the ball a lot sooner than we typically see Mahomes hang on to the ball for a little bit longer and look for deeper plays, perhaps. Yeah. And look, both these teams can win it. The uh, Chiefs are slight favourites on William Hill at the minute. I think they're three-point favourites. But I mean, three points in a game like this is nothing at all. I wouldn't call it a coin toss. I think that the Chiefs are rightly favourites just. But we're talking, you know, 51-49, 52-48 here. There's a lot that the Buccaneers have going for them. And the fact these teams have already played each other once this season and the Buccaneers have already seen, you know, the best parts of a Kansas City Chiefs game. It's hard to beat a team twice, as we've seen a lot this season. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, we already saw the Bucs overcome the Saints and they'd lost to them twice in the regular season. So it's something that the Bucs are absolutely certainly capable of overcoming, especially the way they're playing this this postseason. Shall we move on into our predictions for the game? So uh, first of all, the first prediction that I want to make isn't a score or anything like that. It's a game situation. And it's, it's a bit of a bold call I'm going for, but I'm going to go for it. I have a feeling that in this game, we are going to see a sneaky onside kick from Andy Reid. For, for any particular reason? <laughs> reason for right. So first of all, he's got history. Andy Reid actually did a sneaky onside kick against the Chiefs back in 2003 when he was coach for the Eagles, I believe. He went there and he did a sneaky onside kick to start the game. Now, whoever returns the kicks for Kansas City Chiefs, be it Hardman, be it Robinson, it's going to be a guy with absolute burners. 
and the Tampa Bay return team, they're not going to be facing up all the way through because they're going to want to be turning around and covering this kick as soon as they can. And there's a tendency in return teams when it's like that to start turning your back and start to start to jog back just as soon as that kicker starts running up for his kick. Now, Andy Reid said, and I'm going to quote him here, it was back in 2001 when he did this. It was an Eagle Chiefs game at Arrowhead Stadium when he was head coach of the Eagles. And Andy Reid said, it was something we wanted to do to set the tempo of a game. From a coaching standpoint, it sent a message to our players that we're going to go after it in a tough place to play. Now, if you want to talk about a tough place to play, it's Super Bowl in the other team's home stadium. It's just a feeling that I have, but a coach like Andy Reid, a game like this, with the situation that he's in, I'm just throwing it out there. Do not be surprised if we see an onside kick, a sneaky onside kick from Andy Reid at some point during Super Bowl. Yeah, I really like that prediction. I think there's a lot of logic behind that. And oh, if that comes off, that's fantastic. So, you know, you mentioned that Tampa are playing in their home stadium. What effect do you think that has on a game like this? Obviously, in a in a normal postseason, you'd say that has a really, really big impact. I think the numbers they're expecting at the stadium are around 22,000. Do you think that there's still a tangible positive to playing in your own stadium, even if the fan numbers are relatively low? I do because of a routine. You've got a lot of rookies who are a key part of this Tampa Bay team and they wouldn't of any, you know, in any point of their career, no matter how well they did in college football, they wouldn't have experienced something like the Super Bowl. And if you can build in as much routine as what they're used to doing, you know, staying at the same hotel before the game, taking the same bus ride that takes the same amount of time, going to the same changing room, seeing the same guy on security as you go in. It's just these things they're comfortable with. So playing the Super Bowl in the home stadium, yeah, sure, it's Super Bowl. It's like nothing else I've ever, ever felt. But there'll be lots of things that are familiar to them. And for those rookies who, you know, you're going to have to really control and, you know, get them through this game, it's these things that are going to help them and just to stay comfortable and just to be in the right headspace. It's intangibles, but it makes a difference. If you're in a, a different stadium that you're not used to, you don't know where you're going, you don't know what the layout is, you need to be sure about going from here to there, where the physio room is, all these different little bits and pieces that you'll be thinking about because it's just a different thing you're not used to. They don't have to worry about that. It's just one thing less for them to worry about because they just know what they're doing and they know what the situation is. And they've still got the cannons, right? <laughs> I hope so. And it's you know it's supposed to be a neutral stadium, so I'm hoping we're going to see cannons for both teams, which will be pretty weird for Tampa Bay fans. But uh, yeah, I think the whole point of playing Super Bowl with is we get some cannons. 100%. I'll be absolutely devastated if we're watching touchdowns and no cannons firing. I mean, what's the point? I would say that Raymond James Stadium, I think, is in the top three stadiums that I want to go to just because of the pirate ship. <laughs> right. Okay, then. Let's move on to our predictions then, Joe. Do you want me to go first? I do. So just for a heads up, currently in our season-long Prediction war, you are literally, it couldn't be closer. You're on 196, I'm on 195. There is a point in it. So um, a lot of pressure here, Charles. Yeah, I am tearing my hair out over this one. The the more that you and I have been talking about it, the more I'm convinced that Tampa Bay are going to be able to put up a good fight. I, I just think that even with the turf toe, I think that the problem with the Chiefs is, or the problem for the Bucks is that the Chiefs have so many options and they are a solid all-round team. And I just think unless the Bucks can force something early, can bring a pass rush, can put the Chiefs under pressure, 
get in the lead and maintain that lead, I, I think I'd still back the Chiefs on this. So for that reason, I'm going to say Chiefs by six. Okay, now I always had to go different from you to try to close this gap. And I'm going to go different from you. And I'm going to explain the reasons why. Now, like I said, Kansas City have been such a dominant side over the last two and a half years that it's hard to bet against them. But something that's harder to bet against, if you've got any sense at all, is Tom Brady. And, you know, it's postseason, it's Super Bowl, it's an odd year. It's Brady. And Brady won't be the difference maker. What the difference maker will be and what I believe will be the deciding factor here is the strength of the defensive line and pass rush from Tampa Bay. I believe that they have a personnel there that their pass rush is so strong with four or five men that they can drop players out of the box. And let's put it this way, they're not going to be giving up 267 yards to Tyreek Hill and three touchdowns in this game. That happened last time and Kansas City Chiefs snuck a win by three points. They're going to be playing different. I think that you know, their safeties, like Anton Winfield Jr. now, have an additional half season of experience. They're going to make it count. And I think that the Bucks are going to pull this off by a score, seven points. Yeah, so I mean, I think the closeness of the bookies, how closely we have it either side, talks to the fact that everyone thinks this game could be close and could go either way. I can't wait to see how it pans out. It's going to be interesting, that's for sure. I think that with both our predos, though, predicting games that we want to kind of see happen, close games where both teams are in it, I mean, there is always a possibility that, you know, Brady plays like he played in the second half against the Bears or in the third quarter against Green Bay. And if Brady plays like that, you know, kind of Jameis Winston, but a little bit less accurate, then this could be over very quickly and we could see a very one-sided game. It's not impossible for there to be a one-sided game. I think that going into this, Almost everything is on the table in terms of how this game could pan out, which again makes it a very exciting game, very unknown. Neither team has a glaring weakness. It's not like we're seeing a defense against an offense, which is what we saw in Super Bowl, was it Super Bowl 52, when we had the Rams against the Patriots and that very boring game. That was basically a defense against an offense. It's what we saw with the Broncos against the Panthers at Super Bowl 50. We've not got that. We've got two balanced teams with good offenses playing against each other so so it should be exciting it should be good but that's not to say that it won't be one-sided that's not impossible so i'm not writing that situation off yeah absolutely right then joe i mean we've got let me just slow you down there cowboy mate you forgot my most important prudo now scores and stuff yeah everyone can predict the score but you really have made a prudo if you can predict the gatorade that they throw over the winning coach at the end of the game <laughs> what have you got i'm going orange Holmes. Oh, orange, orange, because it was orange last year. Is that why? No, because it's my favourite colour. <laughs> and what <laughs> what else are you going to pick? Gatorade could, could literally be anything. Well, it's funny you say that. So orange is actually the bookie's favourite right now. William Hill aren't taking bets on it, which suggests maybe that it may have already leaked. But orange is the favourite, plus 160. Red is very, very close second favourite. I'm not going to go for either of those, though. I'm going to go for the classic lime slash green slash yellow. It's what I go for every year. It's n- nearly never lime slash green slash yellow, but I feel that's my bit this year. So lime slash green slash yellow for the Gatorade colour. Yeah, okay, nice. What about a sneaky blue, Joe? Do you see that cropping up somewhere? Oh, you, you, you know, you've got to be bold. Now, there was a huge big run on purple last year because the betting market thought there'd be some kind of tribute to Kobe Bryant by making the Gatorade purple. So there was a big run, and I think purple at one stage was actually the favourite. 
it didn't come to pass though because who drinks purple Gatorade really? Uh, but no, <laughs> blue, blue and purple—they're—they're they're definitely the outside shots. Okay, <laughs> well there you go. There's the important prediction. The important predos. So yeah, as I was saying, we're, we're going to have this show. Then we'll have next week's show where we'll obviously recap the Super Bowl and we'll just take a look at some of the most important things to watch out for in the off season before we leave you for a short break and then we'll be back around draft day. Now, we started part one of our awards last episode, so let's jump in and finish off the second half of those, shall we, Joe? Let's do it. Next category is best play of a season. Yeah, so for me, the two plays that really stood out uh, of course, everyone's going to talk about the Hale Murray and it was spectacular to witness and DeAndre Hopkins rising above three defensive players to make that grab was fantastic to watch. I think for me, though, the more impressive play was that fourth and one from Kansas City Chiefs two weeks ago, uh, that final play called by Andy Reid. I think not only was it executed brilliantly, I think it, it had something that we spoke about before. It's got bigger impacts in that the Chiefs can now go away and line up however they want on fourth and one. And you just don't know if they're trying to catch you out or they're going to make that play in the future. So, yeah, for me, well executed, hell of a gamble and strategically really fantastic. So I, I'd go with that. Right. I knew you were going to go for that one. So I've gone for something a little bit different. I'm going to shake your mind back to week three. New Orleans Saints against Green Bay Packers, Mercedes-Benz Superdome. Packers are 27-20 up. Saints have the ball on their own 48-yard line. Breeze takes a snap under center, takes eight steps back. Meanwhile, Kamara is running a sweep from right to left. Breeze dinks the ball out to Kamara on the uh, left touchline. And you've got Will Redmond charging in from safety. It looks like he's going to absolutely destroy Kamara behind the line of scrimmage. Kamara somehow manages to shake him off. Redmond still gets around his ankles, but Kamara's gone. Then at this stage, he then has Ty Summer coming streaming in on about the 50-yard line, again trying to make a tackle. He gets two hands on him, but he just jets past him. But then wait, what's this? You've got Eric McCoy, the centre, suddenly catching up with Kamara, 20 yards away from a line of scrimmage. What, McCoy's staying with him? McCoy ran all the way down the field from the line of scrimmage at the 48-yard line, and was giving blocks, it was a crap block, but he gave a block to Kamara, 10 yards from the Green Bay end zone. We had more blocks, I think Josh Hill, the tight end, managed to get down there. There was a wide receiver who was thrown in blocks as well. Kamara was dancing around, avoiding tackles, and he got a touchdown. I would just say, just watch this playback, just watch A, the elusiveness of Kamara, but watch the effort for, you know, probably a 300-pound centre to manage to get from the line of scrimmage and be making blocks 50 yards up the field. That was my play of the season. I don't know why you're trying to do me dirty like this, Joe. We won that game as well. Why are you calling a, a play for the opposition? Stop hating. <laughs> just watch that playback. It was such a good play. And the blocking I remember was just it, in fairness. I do beautiful. remember it. Yeah, it was a good play. I'll give you that. I, I can't allow it, though. What, are you calling that over the fourth and one? Well, it's just obvious, isn't it? I was going a little bit more hipster. Well, okay. So let's call it a notable entry, but you've got to give it to the fourth and one. <laughs> yeah, no, you do. Um, and it would be undoubtedly if it was balls of a season because it certainly took some from Reed. Oh, big time. 
So then let's move on from that to worst player of the season. Do you want to kick us off, Joe? Yeah, so it's one that stands out really. I, it, this is just obvious in, in my mind. I'm still getting flashbacks from it. It was the onside kick that the Cowboys did against the Falcons in, a, I think this was also week three. <laughs> was this week three? Yeah. And I still, to this moment, don't know really just what was going on there, how the Falcons managed to fluff that, how they clearly demonstrated that a team of professional footballers doesn't know the rules of the onside kick. That, for me, was the worst play of the season because it lost them the game. It was it was just terrible. So it's funny. I don't have that play, but I do have another Falcons play. So we're ragging on the Falcons this evening. For me, it's the girly touchdown. <laughs> For the for the exact same reason. Yeah, yeah, that's actually <laughs> so many Falcons plays to pick from. Also, I love the kind of juxtaposition of a successful touchdown just being the worst play of the season. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's it's so hard to say. Just let's say that the, uh, the Falcons take Falcons it. Yeah, kind of worst. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Okay, coach of a year. Are, are you going to steal my pick from a few weeks ago? Yeah, because you've sold me on it. Well done, Joe. You're an excellent salesman. Thanks, mate. <laughs> so let's just say the Playsheet Podcast awards Kevin Stefanski with Coach of the Year. He took a Browns team which had potential from a hype it was getting last year and turned them into a playoff contending team. Playoff something that the Browns haven't sniffed for a long, long time. What, 20 years? Okay, they didn't make it to the big game, but they certainly looked good. A, against the Steelers in the wildcard round. And they definitely didn't lose themselves any fans in the way they managed to get forward. So, yeah, well-improved team. He's instilled a sense of character and an identity in that team. Yeah, so I think that Stefanski stands out for me as coach of the year. Yeah, I think Bruce Arians deserves an honourable mention, probably less so for the regular season performance, but the way that he's navigated these playoffs I think he's done a, a fantastic job of identifying the weaknesses of the teams that he's coming up against. And, you know, we're talking about the Saints and Green Bay here. They're not joke teams. And he's completely understood where the weaknesses are and devised game plans to win those battles. And uh, he's doing a great job so far. So he, he'd be a close second for me. I don't have any problems with that. So one thing that we may well touch on next week, Charles, but I just wanted to open up the conversation now because there's been some big news in the last week. We've obviously seen the first mega trade of the season that saw, well, the first mega trade of the off-season, sorry, that saw Jared Goff and two first-round picks go to the Lions in return for Matthew Stafford. There's also been rumours swirling around in the last week about Kirk Cousins, Jimmy Garoppolo. We could be seeing, potentially, the most quarterback changes of any off-season in the Super Bowl era. Now, a record for new starting quarterbacks going into a new season is 16. And my question for you, Charles, to lead this little piece is, do you think that we'll be breaking that record this season? Quarterback changes to start the 2021 season, plus or minus 16, are you taking the over or under? I'm taking the under, not because I think we won't see a lot of quarterback changes. I fully expect we will, but 16 is so high. I just... I mean, that's half of the teams in the league. Okay, then, quickly, can you list out, and this is kind of where I'm getting at here, can you list out 16 quarterbacks who you think are definitely going to be staying with their teams next year? I'll make it easiest. Just list out 10. List out 10 quarterbacks that you think will definitely, definitely be with their team next year. All right, so you got Rodgers, Herbert. Will Rodgers definitely be there? Yes. 
Yes. Okay. Okay. So you, okay. you got Rogers. You got Herbert. You've got Mahomes. You've got Burrow. Jackson. So, so, so you're on five there. That's five. Yeah. And I'd question one of them. <laughs> Rogers is staying, man. You believe? And then Brady will probably stay. Yeah. More chance of him staying than Rogers. Well, look. Let me just throw out some uh, names here of quarterbacks who are very unlikely to still be in the same place next year. Yeah. We definitely know that Goff and Stafford won't be. So you've got two right there. Trubisky, probably not. Yeah. There's rumours about Cousins and Garoppolo right now. Those two could be switching around. Sure, yeah. So that brings us to five. And then to finish up the NFC North, I still am not convinced that Rodgers is going to be in the same place next year. You've got things going on with Watson. We can throw out there Drew Locke. Obviously, Phil Rivers is not going to be starting for the Colts. There's probably going to be a new quarterback at the Jaguars, at the Jets. Patriots. Patriots, yeah. Patriots as well. Steelers. But you've still got Kyler Murray's not moving. You've still got the Seahawks. Wilson's not moving. I still think you're not going to see 16 changes. That is just so phenomenally high. It's high, man, but there's a lot of quarterback changes going on this offseason. There are a lot. It is musical chairs out there. Yeah. And it just needs a team to pick up a quarterback like Cam Newton and then decide that they're going to start him, which you know could happen with a team like the Broncos. I'm not saying that the Broncos would pick up Cam Newton. I'm not, I'm not saying that at all. But if they pick up a vet, then it's very easy for Drew Locke to be losing his, his uh, starting place. Yeah. I don't know. I think you might see 12, 14, but 16 just seems so high for me. It's high, but I don't think it's unfeasible. I'd probably not take that bet at all and say that 16 could well be the number. We could see 16 quarterback changes. Well, if I offered you then 16 or over, would you take that? Yeah. Yeah, I, th- okay, I, interesting. I think I would. Okay. Because I think that in basically every single division in the league, there are at least two teams where pff, who knows who's going to be starting next year. Interesting. All right. Well, I mean, if that is the case, that makes predicting next season very, very difficult, doesn't it? Well, it, it does at this stage of the season. Let's let's put it this way, Charles. I'm putting no predos on the 2021 season at this stage. No, absolutely not. Except that the Cowboys aren't going to win anything. Oh, dear. Those poor guys. <laughs> Do you know what? I genuinely want to see a good Cowboys team again. I know that sounds so weird. But they've just been so exceptionally bad, despite having a good team on paper, that I just want to kind of see what that team is capable of. It's always just so disappointing. Sorry, that's just made me think of something. Just to go back to this, I just mentioned the Cowboys, NFC East. Is there going to be a single quarterback starting in that division who was a starter last year? Oh, good, good question. You'd think not wouldn't you maybe well maybe maybe jones yeah I, I think maybe jones and maybe washington football team if they can't find another well no dwayne haskins was a starting quarterback at the start of the season last year oh so you're counting backups then well no no the starter changing from one year from from a start of one season to the start of the next season oh okay fine okay because i was thinking that anyone from their roster would count uh okay yeah i'd still take the under <laughs> yeah but there's four teams right there there's like it's all right there and i listed like nearly 10 will dak be ready for the beginning of next season i don't think he will i don't think he will the level of injury that he had there we might not see him until at least halfway through the season it's mm. way too early again though it's, that's not something that i'm going to predo though but 
I think just at this stage right now, I wouldn't bet on him being ready at the start of the season. Yeah, fair enough. That's a long rehab there. That's a long, long rehab. So, Joe, did you manage to get hold of your NFL snack helmet from Lidl? My mum got me an NFL snack helmet from Lidl. Doesn't matter how it arrived. The important thing is that you have one. I hope the listeners at home have grabbed theirs as well. My only concern is the size of the helmet, Joe, because you know I love a snack. Well, I got it on my head, so that was the first thing I tried out. (laughs) It was big enough for my head. The only quandary that I have is whether I stick a bonnet and go for a sticker on every single bit of the helmet with all the teams, or whether I do a cool and reserved, like, just a little Vikings thing on the side. I think that, you know, I've got all the stickers. You might as well use all the stickers, so the sticker bomb is going to happen. You're going for a sticker bomb. Okay, I like it. It's neutral then. Problem is, other people will be tempted to steal your snacks. If you keep it just Vikings only, my, my hand's safe. It wouldn't be dipping in there. Yeah, but my wife is a Vikings fan as well, so she's the biggest threat to Snacktown. So <laughs> no safety there. Way. No safety. Yeah, I probably shouldn't have said that on my pod. I'm going to get in trouble now. <laughs> uh, look, we're obviously the the whole nation is still in lockdown at the moment, so it's probably not quite the celebration of Super Bowl that we'll have seen in previous seasons but have you seen that that the uh, CDC in the US because their rules are a little bit less stricter there's no lockdown there people are still mingling and doing what they want but the CDC has told people to not cheer and to prep for the game beforehand by getting like clapping devices so they don't need to open their mouths during the game (laughs) amazing okay well there you go But look, we really would love to see any photos that you have of how you're celebrating Super Bowl. I know that we've got some Bucks fans that listen to the podcast, so we need to see you all kitted out. Obviously, any photos that you share with us, either on email, which is playsheetpodcast at gmail.com, or if you DM us uh, on Instagram at playsheetpodcast, we'll get them up on social media. We'd love to share them. Because I think Super Bowl alone is not fun. So let's join in. Let's kind of share what everyone else is doing. And uh, let's keep the conversation going on the day. Joe, you're going to be live tweeting? I'm going to be live tweeting. I'm going to be live tweeting. I'm also going to be on a um, on a joint Vikings fan club and Browns fan club, uh, the UK fan clubs, are doing a joint conference call. Rumour has it they're going to try and get Kirk Cousins on as well. So that'd be quite exciting. That would be pretty cool. Well, there you go. So, look, stay in touch. Send us your photos. We'd love to share them. And have a good Super Bowl, everyone. 